You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. This episode is a chance for us to get to know Carlos Casados a little bit better, so Satch will interview Carlos. Host on host, baby. Yeah. Carlos Casados. Satch Purcell. So Carlos, um, I'd like to ask you a few questions. I kind of want to interview you a little bit and uh, take this opportunity to share who you are with everybody. Can, can we do that? Yeah. All that right. Sounds great. So you are a neuro-linguistic programming expert. Uh, you're a master hypnotist. And you specialize in some things, don't you? You specialize in uh, relationships and strategic communication and conflict resolution. Mm. Um, how did that happen? Why, why, why those things? How did you do that? Gosh, um, I think I'm drawn to the things that help me in my life. You know, um, I guess you could say that I'm a seeker, um, somebody who um, has been seeking to understand himself and um, to pursue the best course of action always and to learn from the choices that I've made. So you've been engaged in various mind-body practices for decades. Yeah. You know, um, uh, we met as younger teenagers and you were already engaged in mind-body practices at that time. Mm. Uh, I know martial arts has been a very big part of your life. Um, Definitely. You've done a lot of martial arts and, and like you said, uh, you know, uh, yoga and meditation, um, and it's interesting to me that you spent many years working with, with martial arts as a way of dealing with conflict and you've gotten very good at that. Mm. And it's natural to me that you moved beyond that into more conflict resolution of the mind. Yeah. And that, um, you know, it, it, you're right. It is a very natural thing for you. You, you've gone like way beyond physical martial arts into mental martial arts. And that's kind of what NLP is to you. I, this is what I see coming from you. You're right. Is that right? No, yeah. you're absolutely right. Um, maybe it's a tendency of being human that we, we find patterns based upon our cognitive bias, right? Mm. So if we have a certain filter that we're looking at the world through, um, it starts to show up for us in our perception. In NLP, we have an expression. Uh, it's uh, perception is also projection. Ah, oh, perception uh, just, is also projection. That's right. So, so you're, to some degree, um, creating this subjective experience. You're not just a passive, um, you know, bystander. You're you're actually participating in what it is you're creating mm, um, in your yeah. in your vision and your senses and and so on. So mm. you're not. It's not just a passive action that your nervous system does. It's also the way you construct reality, and that fascinates me. And you, know, you mentioned conflict resolution. Well, I guess you could say I've had tons of interpersonal conflict, personal conflict. Nowadays, I see conflict as um, not so much as a, a, of a problem in the sense of um, a heavy thing, but the way a math problem is a problem. It's yeah. something to figure out. Okay. And there's this great saying that, I totally agree with it. Um, peace is not the avoidance of conflict. Peace is about transforming the situation 
yeah. that is in conflict into peace. Wow. That's just a wow. paraphrase. but That's fantastic. I, I see you doing that. Yeah. I can tell that you've embodied that. And I'd very yeah. much like to continue to be, you know, so involved in transforming the conflicts in my life mm. that I do feel, you know, somewhat constant peace. I would love mm-hmm. to to continue to feel that in my own life and to help others to discover that themselves. And that's, in, in essence, why I share it, mm-hmm. because I have learned a few things about the nature of conflict and how to get teams working together and how to get individuals um, out of the struggle and back into the play, you know, the dance that happens between, um, you know, really aggressive situations and really passive situations, you know, right. and finding that balance somewhere. Yeah. Well, balance might not be the perfect word for it. Maybe harmony is a better word. Sure. Because you're not always perfectly lined up in the middle of those two things, mm-hmm. but certainly... Uh, when you're dealing with something difficult, whether the situation is a passive circumstance or a very active, aggressive circumstance, you have to be centered. Right. So no matter what right. you do, if you're embodying um, more energy, more aggression, that can be an act of creating peace. Contrary to the way most people might think of it, you stepping it up in energy can often be the antidote to a situation that calls for it. Hmm. And that can create the peace. And then the two okay. forces, two people, two groups, are suddenly able to communicate because they're speaking the same language. Right. So sometimes it, you That's know. It's interesting. Peace is yeah. an interesting, it's an interesting word because yeah. it calls up the image of, like, there's no conflict, right? Yeah. But I think that peace is, well, I interpret the, the idea of peace as being a process of creating um, a harmony, something that works, that flows in a situation that's not working very well. Yeah. Peace is working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. great. It becomes active yeah, rather than passive. That's neat. Yeah, because, you know, an, an overly aggressive person certainly could stand to use um, a little more passive qualities maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. To balance their um, behavior and to harmonize with other people and other groups. Yeah, but it it's also true that an overly passive person needs to sometimes raise their energy level in order to match the circumstances. Hmm. Which brings me to martial arts and tai chi. Yeah, sure, you know, sure. Which you yeah, study about, as well. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, um, when I was in Australia after one of my NLP courses, one of my early NLP courses, um, I was spending time with a friend there who um, was uh, talking about following versus leading and and the different elements there and we got into these really deep discussions we would go on these really long long walks you're talking about when you say like following and leading you're talking about like uh, like like martial arts practice of like pushing and and actually this person was a dancer oh but was developing a personal philosophy that centered around uh, bringing out the value in following Okay. Uh, many times people think of following as less important, less crucial, um, and that leading is where it's at. But it flips on itself, if you really think about it, because um, without followers, there is no leading. And right. you know, who are you leading if you're not, having, if you're not leading someone or something uh, that's following, then you, don't, you can't have... So they're inter... Woven, they're 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 dependent. Interdependent is a yeah, better word for it. Yeah. Um, 
the but inter- also the interdependence of yin and yang. It is, yeah. yeah it's very much yeah. a, and it called to mind when I heard her talking about it. It called to mind the idea of taiji. Yeah, you know the the supreme you know interaction between yin and yang, mm-hmm. and um, how that's expressed everywhere in nature. It's the grand ultimate principle yeah. of everything we experience, and. You know, in Taiji, they talk about balance, but it's really the study of your balance. It's not in in being able to not lose your balance. It's in understanding what's going on that causes you to lose balance. Mm, and sure. studying how to regain your balance from any position in any situation. Because you're, you know, you're going to be living life, there will be constantly things affecting your balance. And if it's not, then you're stagnating. So we have yeah. to be in a position to grow and learn, and we have to expand our comfort zone to include things that are not comfortable or weren't comfortable up to that point. Yeah. So it's about growth and expansion. And um, so conflict resolution was something that came up uh, several years ago as we went on these long walks, and we we stopped, and, and, and this person was also a, an NLP uh, master, and, and said, you know, we ought to share this concept with the world. and that's when the conflict resolution workshops that we had started to develop mm. started to kind of have its roots and we started writing ideas down and then giving this workshop in different forms all throughout Australia. And that's what I've done here in, in the US too a right. couple of times. I'm working on reformatting the structure of it, but I really believe that it's a, an open-ended topic. Like whatever I teach now in that area, there are many levels of it. And yeah. there are even okay. uh, many ways to convey it, and it, many applications from the corporate to the, you know, interpersonal, you know, at home, uh, in your life, um, just as an individual. So many applications for yeah. conflict resolution. I know you've given a lot of um, talks, you've worked on various projects and things. Um, one very interesting one that I'd, I'd like to ask you to talk about is the work that you did in Thailand. Could you talk about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I went to Thailand in 2013, and I went as part of a, a group training that I was doing. Uh, this training was focused on... Well, I guess there were there were some concepts from NLP in it, but it was primarily focused on utilizing the skill of hypnosis, uh, both self hypnosis as well as um, you know uh, hypnosis upon others, but to help the group to uh, explore ideas around primal masculinity. So, what does it mean to be a man on a deeper level? Like, what does that mean in life? And how do you refine your own masculine qualities? Um, you know, integrity, strength, um, you know, boldness, uh, honesty, you know, various elements of your sexuality, elements of your uh, finding your passion and pursuing your leadership, and so on. You know, how do you figure out where you're at right now, where you've come from, and where you want to go as a man to create that? So, the entire focus of this training was all about that. And as we were doing it, there was a woman there um, in the class who I didn't realize. She's a, a PhD in, I think, education. I can't remember her her background uh, too much. But she 
revealed towards the end of the class that she, um, and she was basically one of the only women in the room because it was a, again, it was about primal masculinity, but she is the assistant to the current prime minister of, of, uh, Thailand. And she's dating the former prime minister (laughs) of Thailand. (laughs) So she revealed all that. And, and at the end she, um, she was so fascinated with what was going on. She put on this huge feast for a select group of us. It was like, I don't know, maybe, I can't remember the number, maybe 10 or 12 of us. And there were some core folks, just me and, and, and a, a few others that were in this private little table with the former prime minister um, who um, was a very interesting older gentleman. He, he was a, a general. Um, he's about 85, very fit, very strong, uh, kind of charismatic person. And, um, I got to MC for this event. Oh, um, very nice. Okay. Yeah. And introduce right. him and it was pretty fun. But then this assistant brought us around, uh, to different places like the old Capitol, And she brought us to these, um, Thai monks who gave us blessings. And she started to ask questions about ways in which this, primal masculinity and the tools of hypnosis and basically mental tools could be used to apply in their education system because she recognized a problem in the country that was happening. uh, And she saw it as a, as a pattern that could be avoided if they just learned something different. So she consulted with myself and a a few others uh, about what changes she could start making in her educational system there because she was involved in that. And so it was a very fruitful. I felt honored to be asked those questions. I felt really appreciated because she really listened. And I feel like in some important but small way, I made a difference for Thailand. And it was a really good feeling. I left feeling like um, maybe what we learned and what we did there and what I did there uh, was going to have lasting effects on the youth in Thailand. So, oh, very nice. Yeah, I thought that was really great. That's really neat. You know, speaking of, of education, it makes me think of childhood. So I'd like to ask you a little bit about your childhood. Yeah. Um, now, your parents were both artists in their own way. Yes. Uh, what kinds of art did you grow up seeing, and, and how did that influence you into who you are today and, and, and kind of what we're doing? So I grew up with a lot of fine arts. Uh, my father was an art instructor, a painter, um, and my mother was a classical pianist. So um, there was visual arts and there was uh, musical arts around me. Um, and actually, my elder siblings uh, got involved with acting and singing. And and uh, so it was really a creative household. And although we had a divorce early on in my childhood, and I bounced back and forth between homes, I was exposed to a lot of uh, different kinds of art. And it definitely gave me an appreciation for the creative process. It, uh, I think there was, you know, despite conflicts and things that were there in the home, and I developed an appreciation for the creative mind. When I was a little kid, my sisters taught me things as well. And they were interested in a variety of topics like astrology, numerology, and uh, the mind. So uh, I think I got my first introduction to those things uh, just by the suggestions of my older sisters. Uh, one of those suggestions was really cool. 
um, I was talking about dreams and one of my sisters, I can't remember which one, but she told me, you know, you can control your dreams if you just go to sleep and tell yourself really strongly that you're going to be able to wake up in your dream and have control over it. And so I did that. I, and I think I accepted it on faith. And sure enough, I was able to have lucid dreams after that. So that was pretty cool. Um, also, when you're a kid, you know, your imagination is all over the place. And I had moments of fear where my imagination was running wild with me. And uh, my sisters would tell me to say my prayers and to imagine being surrounded by white light you know, as a protection and things like that. Um, I think that was a creative use of the mind and it had the effect, you know, the intended effect of creating a feeling of safety. And that was my first real experience with directing my attention and changing the way I feel by using my uh, imagination. So that creative environment was really helpful for me and I learned a lot from it. Now, your mother also was very much involved with, with yoga. She was a yoga instructor, I believe. Still is. And she still um, is, yeah. Yeah, how, how did that affect you? I didn't like it as a kid. Really? I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it's funny because I know you today as yeah. a guy who could talk about yoga and enjoy yeah. yoga. When I say I didn't like it, let me qualify that. Um, there are elements of it I didn't like, but I still was fascinated with it at the same time. And I grew to like it. I appreciated um, that it was unique and different. And like all children, we resist uh, things that are too different and strange at first. Mm. But then after a while, you start to appreciate that very same thing because it's different. Yeah. And, you know, she was eating different and there were different smells in the house because she was burning incense and, and I didn't know what to think of it. But all that was just silliness. It was just, you know, maturity that needed to happen. That's all it was. And, you know, she introduced me to a lot of these really great concepts like, you know, being still, closing your eyes, breathing deeply, and then focusing your mind. Meditation. Mm, yeah. Going inward. You know, um, I felt an inclination to do those things, but she, she showed me a method to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, so there were things about that that I really like, and I really appreciated and grew to appreciate so much more as I got older. Because she was studying uh, Indian spirituality, there was an element of Indian culture that was brought into the house. So that meant curries, so unusual smells, right? Different I said that earlier. And flavors. Uh, flavors and, and yeah. things that, that were unusual for me, for my palate yeah. uh, as a young person. But again, I mean, yeah. you won't find me complaining about Indian food these That's days. That's right. It's like, That's bring right. it on, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, hearing the strange sounds of the different language, different terms, uh, she changed her name to Satyavati. Which is okay. a beautiful name, yeah. Uh, but again, it's it's about growing up because as a kid, I don't think I I had a hard time with that. But sure, but uh, it wasn't long before I got so involved in Chinese martial arts that it became easy for me to not only accept it but like it. Yeah, and I started martial arts fairly early. Okay, how so old I, were you when you started martial arts? I started martial arts. I think I was nine. Okay, eight or nine. Hmm. So, you know, after I, my initial dip into martial arts, which was through Taekwondo, mm -hmm. um, which was kind of whitewash, it was the American Taekwondo Association, right? Okay. 
But shortly after that, it was Kung Fu. And I'd already been watching Black Belt Theater and Kung Fu Theater on sure. Saturdays. And, you know, it was all about um, seeing all this Chinese stuff. Master of the Flying Guillotine. Master of the Flying Guillotine. And, and uh, yeah. Um, so as I started to learn more about the Chinese martial arts and it got very technical philosophically and, you know, concepts about medicine and food and again, strange smells, strange tastes, right? Right. right. It became so easy. It was almost instant that I just automatically started accepting everything about, you know, my mom's interest in Indian culture Mm -hmm. and meditation I really just need my own outlet. I've been begging my parents to take me to martial arts for a while, and it took them a long time. So I started at, let's say, nine, but I had been begging to do martial arts probably since I was four or five. Okay. And it took a while to convince them. Can I share a little cute story about yes, that? Yes, please do. I'd love to hear this. Okay. Yeah. So I had been begging for a long time. Um, in fact, my mom tells me that people ask me what you want to be in, when you grow up, and, and the answer was usually something like Kung Fu Master or... Jedi or wizard or something like that, usually Kung Fu master. So um, for a long time, I kept getting no, no, no to studying martial arts. And finally, I watched this one Kung Fu movie. I don't even know what it was. I just remember it ended in the sunset, kind of like the old Westerns would, right? And um, I was in tears because the story, however Mm. silly I might think that story is now, I Uh was moved by that story. Wow. I mean, he had all these bad things happen and he learned Kung Fu and he finally beat the bad guy and got revenge yeah. and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he went off into the sunset with a torn shirt and blood on his chest and blood on his face, but he, <laughs> he won. Yes. And it was so yeah. triumphant that I stood up from my bed immediately and I stormed down the hall to my parents' room and I flung open the door and I said, I want to study martial arts. You know, I was like so yeah. adamant about it. And okay. I think it was my stepdad that kind of looked up at me like, he was waiting. He was waiting for this to happen. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he and he said, "Okay, get out the uh, phone book and start looking." And he's very calmly telling me, "Yeah, okay, go 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 look it up in the phone book in the yellow pages and start looking at schools." And wow, I was like expecting a fight. You know, I had tears in uh-huh. my eyes, expecting this fight, and there was no fight. It was just okay. Go explore it. So I immediately went to the kitchen, pulled out the the phone book, and started thumbing through. And you know what? Even though I studied Taekwondo first, Uh the first one I was attracted to, the first one I wanted to study at was a Kung Fu school Hmm. because it had this one line on it. Okay. And I'll never forget this line. Serious students only, beginners welcome. There's some serious NLP in that, isn't there? I know. Wow. That's great. And to this day, I think that's beautiful. It is. To put that out as a pre-frame... Ahead yeah. of time. Yeah, that's right. Serious students only. Yeah. Beginners welcome. That's it's like, beautiful. hey, if you don't really mean it, don't even bother. Hmm. But you don't have to know anything before you come here. Yeah. But you better be serious. Wow. I like that. Wow. I like that's the beautiful. boldness of it. I like the clarity of it. It yeah. attracted me because, by golly, I'm a serious student. Right. I really want this. I've been wanting this for years, and I've always known I wanted this, and here I am. Mm-hmm. Looking, I'm a kid. I'm looking to try to figure out. Now, I didn't study there at first because it was a little far at that time, and okay. I think my parents wanted to keep it local. Sure. But eventually, I did study there. You did? Mm-hmm. Wow.
So, Carlos, you're one of the most interesting people I've ever known. Thank you've you. got you've got a wide variety of experiences and 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 things that you've studied uh, from from hypnosis and NLP to uh, Indian philosophies and Chinese philosophies, and you've even studied a little bit of uh, traditional Indian medicine, uh, Ayurvedic medicine from India, haven't you? I have. I went to the California College of Ayurveda. Okay, very good. Mm -hmm. And um, you also are involved or have been involved in some extracurricular associations, you know, like with, with some fraternal organizations. Uh, would you would you be willing to share a little bit about that? Sure, I'll, I'll elaborate a little on that. Um, you know, basically, um, there are different fraternal organizations that exist around the world uh, that are focused on the study of mysteries, life's mysteries. Uh, and one of the ways they go about that is through studying the teachings of ancient teachers and masters, and um, there are a variety of them. I've belonged to a couple and have studied um, many. So when I say belong, I mean um, you know had memberships in. And when I say study, I mean having read and explored that way. Okay. Uh, so fraternal organizations like, um, uh, well, I think one of the most common ones people know about is the Masons, the Freemasons, right? Okay. Um, and there are a variety of fraternal organizations of, of all kinds. There's even Christian fraternal organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we're talking about now is not specifically Christian. It's, it's focused on, um, I guess, what you might call esoteric or occult studies. Okay. And occult isn't something creepy or evil or satanic or whatever, um, although I'm sure it could be for some people. It just isn't. The word just means hidden. You're studying the hidden aspects, things that, you know, what's hidden, um, things that people don't see, obviously. It's, okay. It requires a special either initiation, an understanding, or a special view to see it. So there are a lot of things people discover about life that you don't see right off the bat. You got to look deeper to find it. Okay. And I can tell you there's so many things like that. In this particular case, um, I think the ancients who studied astrology, numerology, alchemy, uh, magic, sorcery, um, and so on, you know, mm -hmm. the, the properties of various stones and things, um, the, um, the meanings of various symbols and shapes and colors, the... Um, uh, associations of various numerals or numbers and, and combinations yeah. of numbers, even the principles of sound and vibration. Mm, wow. This is a study that if you, if you look around the world, pretty much everywhere, I, I have a hard time thinking of any place that doesn't have this. I mean, Egypt, India, China, uh, the Native Americans, uh, all over Africa, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, every ancient culture has ancient teachings. Right. So occult yeah. studies looks at those ancient teachings and searches to find some truth in it. Okay. For, searches to find how is this ancient teaching still applicable to me as a spiritual being or as a person who seeks truth. So some of the organizations, the fraternal associations that I have are focused on a particular blend or grouping of those teachings that they do in their own particular way. So they okay. have their own system, their own formula, their own kind of patterns that they follow. And if you get involved with that, this or that fraternity, you're going to follow their program of study. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I've explored a lot of that because I think I may have said earlier today that I like to look for truth. I like to find hidden connections. I like yeah. to see, um, you know, what's behind door number two. I like to look yeah. down the alley. I like to peer around the corner. I like to see what maybe your average person doesn't see. I'll bet you took your, your toys apart a lot as a kid. I did. And <laughs> my mother will tell you that it took forever for me to do the dishes or even to take a bath because I was always taking all the bottles, opening them up, pouring uh-huh. them, mixing my little alchemical <laughs> solutions, and they would just shake their head and roll their eyes like, oh my gosh. Oh, that's funny. You know, he's never going to be finished with this. Because I, I thought, oh, what if I discover some new property that no one else has discovered. My right. curiosity was overwhelming and I had to do it. Yeah. Oh, that's So great. naturally I was drawn to yeah. learning about astrology and numerology and, and things like magic because magic is all about um, becoming wise. You know, the magi mm. were okay. the three wise men. Beautiful. Right? Yeah, that's nice. And, and I believe that without being superstitious, you can have an appreciation for the idea of magic. Hmm. And I look for magic everywhere in my life. Yeah. And there is the prestidigitation, right? The the sacred deceptions that a an illusionist might do. Okay. Like a David Copperfield or, or yeah. a Darren Brown. And then there's the esoteric kind of magic that involves um, the use of um, the mind, you know, uh, various forms of prayer and chanting and mm. visualization and perhaps... Um, uh, ritual, you know, yeah. to accomplish a um, a psychodrama of some kind that might cause a change emotionally, might cause a change in mindset. Mm. It might help a person to really focus on what it is they want to accomplish. And I don't believe in being slavish about um, how you go about it. I think that if you're studying esoteric traditions of the past, mm-hmm. you still have to apply natural skepticism. You have to apply... Um, uh, you know, elements of critical thinking, definitely. But it is a subjective and abstract study. So there are elements of it that are just experiential and have nothing to do with analyzing or, or being critical. They have everything to do with allowing the experience to happen. And that's where mysticism comes in. Hmm. Because the mystis, right? Your exposure to that which is the unseen world, the, the the, that which is beyond um, our, our everyday physical reality, we have a subjective experience that we can, we can receive initiation into. And that's what it's all about. So Carlos, is there a connection to uh, what you're talking about now and NLP? Believe it or not, there is. One of the co-founders of NLP is very interested in magic. In fact, one of the earliest books on NLP is called The Structure of Magic. And there are two volumes to that. In those books, he refers to the language patterns as incantations, as if to say that by using these patterns, you're going to get magical results. So he makes references a lot to esoteric things in his teachings. And many people in NLP have used the concepts of esoteric magic as inspirations for the hypnotic um, tools. You know, there are ways of envisioning various uh, ideas that are useful. They're useful paradigms, useful ideas to work with. Um, So I'm not the only person to make that connection. I don't think it's a requirement. There are people who practice NLP who don't see it that way. 
but many people do. And uh, even one of my primary hypnosis teachers has used magic as an inspiration for some of his more advanced work. And we've talked about that a couple of times. Um, but let me give you a, a more practical example. So I do public speaking for uh, companies and universities, things like that. And to some degree, uh, whenever a person gives a speech, their, their internal representations, their ideas are getting absorbed and uh, modifying the ideas of the people who are listening to them. So right there you have an idea that is generated from your mind. It is uh, imbued with passion, feeling, and it's shaped in the form of uh, persuasive language and various words are used and chosen to represent the ideas. And then the the ears and the minds of the people absorbing that information, well, it's possibly persuading, changing, transforming uh, their mindset. And then when they go out into the world, they make changes, they, they make decisions, they make choices, and that causes a physical change in the world. So right there you have an example of something that starts in the mind as an imaginative idea and then becomes a physical, real-world result. So I'd say that sounds pretty magical, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for uh, sharing that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I feel honored and excited that uh, you get to be my partner on this journey for this authenticity show. Me too. All what right. a gift. Yeah. So, uh, so cheers to uh, exciting journeys. Hey, absolutely. I'm so looking forward to this. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. That's me. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. That's me. Make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Android Market, Stitcher Radio, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Facebook, of course. Thank you for listening, and have an authentic day.